Well, good evening, Grace Church. It is great to see everyone. I'm, I'm sorry to break up the fellowship. It, it sounds like there's a lot of good things happening. Everybody's happy to be here. I'm glad for that. And I'm certainly uh, glad you are here. Those joining on live stream and Facebook Live, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know the service will be a blessing to you. Why don't we stand tonight and uh, let's just take a moment and uh, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Pray over the service. Pray over Kids Church tonight. Can we do that together? Jesus, I thank you for another opportunity to be in your presence. Another opportunity, Lord, to, to study your word. Another opportunity to be with like-minded uh, fellow believers, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we know that where two or more are gathered, you're in the midst. God, I pray you'd anoint everything tonight that we say, that we do. Lord, in Kids Church here in the sanctuary, Lord, let us leave closer to you than when we came. And, Lord, we would be careful to give you the praise. We thank you tonight, Lord. We praise you. You are the only true and wise God. You are worthy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before you're seated, clap your hands to Jesus tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Uh, just before we turn the service over to pastor for Bible study tonight, I do want to just remind you of a couple of things. By now, you probably know, um, but this is the last time I'll get to mention it to you. Saturday night. Everybody say Saturday night. Saturday night, we'll be celebrating with, uh, with Pastor and Sister Murphy 30 years of pastorate here at Grace Church. And that's going to be at Forest Grove Plantation beginning at 6 o'clock. So mark your, your calendars, your, your time. Make sure you're there on time. And we've got a lot of great things planned. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be exciting. We're going to celebrate. Uh, there might be some humor, uh, might be some, some laughs, and um, it's just going to be a wonderful evening. But we need and want you to be there to help celebrate and make it special. So please come. Uh, Brother Greg Albritton will be our, our keynote speaker that evening, this coming Saturday evening. And then he'll stay over and be our special speaker in the 11 o'clock service this coming Sunday. We're always blessed by the ministry of Brother Greg. So um, come out and be a part of the service on Sunday. And then finally, uh, not this coming Sunday, but next, move the mission cell in the lobby. Uh, I'm sorry, move the mission bake cell in the lobby after church. Not this Sunday, but next. If you would like to participate by baking something, see Sister Tanya Coley. She'll give you all the information, all the instructions. But we need some baked goods to sell for Move the Mission, and we want you to be a part of that. So mark your calendars for that. Are you excited about what God is doing? Amen. I just, I am. I believe that the best is yet to come. I believe there's some great things happening right here at Grace Church. I know our students are fired up. I know that um, they're, they're beginning this school year ready um, to see God work and to see God move. And I know you feel the same way here in our church. So uh, I'm just ex very expectant what the, what the rest of this year has to bring and even into next year. I believe God is getting ready to pour out his spirit. If you believe that tonight, why don't you clap your hands one more time to Jesus as pastor comes to the pulpit. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see everybody here tonight. And I uh, deeply appreciate you coming out, uh, as always, on Wednesday night. And I uh, had a good time here this past Sunday. Uh, very thankful for the very evident moving of God's presence. And we're always happy to pass out Holy Ghost certificates on Sunday. We were able to do that this past Sunday. And uh, just thankful for what God is doing here at Grace Church. And um, I'm excited to see what God has in store this coming weekend. Everybody say amen. Thank the Lord. Again, along with Brother Dave, everybody welcome. Glad you're here. Trust you feel welcome. And um, uh, we're on Wednesday night here, but it's great to see Rick and Pam here tonight. Uh, Sister Murphy's brother and his wife, uh, amazing people. They truly are, and we're honored to have them here tonight. <clears throat> I have a presentation I want to make tonight, of course. Um, and I'm excited about it and probably will not finish it. Uh, we'll embark on finishing, uh, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. And um, the reason I probably won't finish this tonight is I want to preface my presentation with another presentation. 
So this is going to be a dual presentation night. We got a lot of presenting to do, I guess. Um, how many of you believe in this little book right here? It's the Holy Bible. Y'all believe in that? Most of our, I've, I've had a, a several days now to really consider and to sift through uh, what I want to present to you tonight. Um, I believe tonight if you're going to go to heaven, you have to do what this book tells you to do. Now, for all of you that believe in the Bible, do you believe that part of it? Because there's people in our culture, and it's becoming very, very common, even in apostolic ranks, that um, we love the Bible when it serves our best interest. But when it wants to correct us or direct our steps down a particular path, opposite or opposing what we want to do, then it's not quite as popular. Most of the preaching, I think you all will agree with this, but most of the preaching you hear in reference to, in direct reference to the Bible, has to do with um, faith, uh, believing in God's promise, uh, encouragement, uplifting type stuff. What we don't hear often is how plain the Bible is about it's a great thing to believe in it, but it's a greater thing to obey it. <clears throat> amen. Everybody said amen. Don't, don't get quiet on me. Um, in everything you say and do with your life between here and the day you die or the day that you're raptured or the day you're not raptured, the rapture takes place, but you're not raptured. There's always this in everything we do. Every choice we make, every day that we live, there's always this that you have to contend with. That should be by now for virtually everybody in this room. This should be in our head and in our heart on some level enough to know that we know, bottom line, us being right with God is not based on how much we, how good we feel. It's how much we're in obedience. You can feel bad. You can have a bad day and still be in obedience to the word of God, right? Uh, so there's always this. The Bible said in the book of Revelation and, and every commentary that I've read and every preacher that I've heard preach about it says when the day of the what is called the white throne judgment, it is the ultimate finality. It's the end. Uh, of, of life as we know it here on this planet. And the way I understand it, after that day, every living, breathing person will either be in heaven or in hell on that day. You go that way or that way. That's the ultimate, the end. We all understand that. But the Bible says when that process begins, there's two books that God is going to refer to. One is the book of life to see if your name is written in it. But then the Bible said, and the books will be open. And every commentary that I've read and all the study I've done through the years, he is referring to the 66 books of the Bible. Those books are going to be open. And you're going to be judged against what this says. So where it may seem apparent, and it's becoming such a trend and even apostolic ranks that, I mean, you, you, can, you can pretty much do what you want as long as it feels pretty good, but you're not too blatant in sinning. If you're not killing people and robbing banks, you could probably make it work. That's kind of the trend that's going on even in some apostolic, or what they say is apostolic circles. <clears throat> I came to the pulpit Sunday and did my best to wear a mask to get through the service, to get through my part of it. Um, taught a Sunday school class Sunday, did the same. And I think there were people that saw through the mask, but um, I was confronted with sharing scripture and it not being 
at all ad, uh, uh, adhered to. I'm going to be vague. And um, it put a, a burden on my heart that I can't express. Um, I came Sunday morning. There was a, a, I was a little angry. I'll be honest, my flesh was angry, but my spirit was hurting for can't be any more specific so I wanted to remind the rest of us tonight I'm a firm believer that prevention is better than cure and I've, I try to stay ahead if I feel like something's coming good or bad I try to stay ahead of it um, somebody told me I wasn't there uh, the Friday night of NAYC that the preacher preached an I'm coming message Somebody texted me and said, you were six months ahead of that, seven months ahead of that when we introduced that in January. And that happens often, but I try to stay ahead of it. We pray and talk to God, try to be sensitive and to lead this church anyway in the paths that it should go. So I want to share with you folks some things that you need to know, some things that you desperately need to know. And all of you will probably say, well, I know that. Well, it needs to be reflected in the way we live. Is obedience to the Bible, the word of God, important? Or is it just a book that you draw faith and encouragement and all that from? And some pretty cool stories. Jesus said, point blank, in John 14, that if you love me, keep my commandments I saw something today when I read this scripture I've never seen before he said if you love me keep my commandments and if you're keeping my commandments verse 15 of John 14 15 if you love me keep my commandments verse 16 and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter I saw something in that today that I've never seen before so is the true comfort of the Holy Ghost dependent upon you keeping his commandments if you really want to be comforted by the Holy Ghost as Jesus promised then is it necessary to keep his commandments I'm reading that in there in that scripture setting then Peter said in his epistle in 1st Peter chapter 1 wherefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober be serious and hope to the end for the grace that is be, to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as not believing children, he said, but obedient children. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct, is what the word means, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. When I read... 13, 14, and 15, verse 16, when it says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Again, that has to do with you being obedient, not believing, but obedient. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter said, and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. John said in his epistle in John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now there's people in our religious culture, in apostolic culture today that says there are. Living a holiness lifestyle to some people is just horrible and ridiculous and I'm not going to do it. It's too much. But the Bible said you're wrong in that posture. You're wrong thinking like that. That obeying his commandments, keeping his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God if you're born of God, he said, you will overcome the world. So now that makes me question the quality and the validity of what people claim that they have been born again. Going to the Old Testament, Isaiah said, Isaiah 119, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient. I hope all of you playing on your phone tonight while I'm going through this, I hope you're listening at the same time. 
In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why call, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and hears my saying and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock and the flood arose and the storm beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth it not, doeth not, is like a man without a foundation, built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately fell in the ruin that that house was great. <clears throat> we have no reason and no justification for being disobedient to the word of God. It's in our best interest to be obedient. I want to close that presentation by saying this. I want everybody to listen. I want everybody to understand. The disobedience from a three-year-old child is different to me than disobedience from a 17-year-old child. A three-year-old does not have the education. They don't have the experience. They don't have the wisdom not to run out in front of a car on the street. And that happens. But a 17-year-old doing that just don't have an excuse to me. You've been taught, you've been trained, what have you. And every parent here tonight knows how aggravating it is to have a child. And nobody knows where they come from. I say it came from some uncle, 15th down the line, a little strand of DNA came from that dude an uncle way down there somewhere twice removed and your kid got that gene and he is as wild as a March hare and you can't do a thing with him. I don't want to call any names tonight but uh, Kelly's mama used to tease her about one of hers going to wear orange one day. Um, for those of you that don't know what that means, it's the color of a prison uniform. Uh, it's been a big joke. Uh, I hope she was joking. I hope it's not an omen, Kelly. Uh, but we've laughed and had a good time about that. But sometimes you have that child. I know some here tonight. I remember when you were a child that you were a pain in the neck and your mother and daddy couldn't do a thing with you. And I've got to the point where I hear parents say, I can't do a thing with my kid. And I say, just put them up for adoption. Give that burden to somebody else. Let them take care of it. And you can just go on about with your life. Nobody ever does that. They keep them for some reason. But we all know how aggravating that is. I'm not here to say that anybody lives perfect. We all make mistakes. We all fall down. We all mess up. It's a beauty of repentance. But I think sometimes in our culture today, there's a blatant attitude that people have with this. And it really doesn't make any difference to me what it says. And I've offered before to sit down with some people Come to my office, we'll sit down, and you take all the verses that you don't like, tell them to me, and I will cut them out of a Bible, and then I'll give you that Bible. And nobody wants to take me up on it. They don't want the verses taken out. They just don't want to obey them. So God help us tonight. Grace Church, get on board. I'm not trying to sound cultish. and I, I just read Bible. It's not me. I'm just the mailman. It's, it's the Bible. We have to obey what the Bible said, especially when it is so clear, it is so blatant, black and white, this is what you need to do. Now, that being said, it's going to be a very long way around to skew back in, segue back into what I want to present to you tonight for just the next few moments. We've been talking about for the past number of Wednesday nights a lot of things. Last Wednesday night, I introduced soul winning and I ask you at the end of that Bible study to oftentimes we I think when people talk to me about soul winning the first thing I revert to and I think it has a part it has far to do with the way I interpreted my church experience as a child and a teenager uh, it's the way I interpreted it I don't know if that's what happened it's just the way I interpreted it but if you want to be a soul winner that means to go stand on the street corner start preaching to people start passing out Bibles everywhere you go and um, it seemed to me um, when my brain was, was pliable back in those days that soul winning just wasn't a lot of fun. It's a sacrifice to go soul winning and you 
you go into the ghetto and you go into the hard parts of town and you go here and you go there and you got to have an AK-47 or whatever you call them things. Uh, you got to have a gun and a knife and some bodyguards. That, that's, that's what I default to in my head about soul winning. Now, I exaggerated a little bit, but not too much. <clears throat> it's not like that. And I asked you last Wednesday night to consider. I told you, being very transparent, that my my fervent feeling about winning people is backsliders. Um, I have a just a, a huge, and I have for years, I've just carried a burden for backsliders and have done my best to reach out to some and, and some we've won. But find someone you love and like that's unchurched. They may be religious, but maybe you could show them a little bit more and just love them and do your best to win that person. And it probably won't happen overnight. It'll take a long time. But you have to be patient. So I want to talk to you tonight about reaching the religious. I've been going through this series, Our Purpose as a Church, hashtag we're coming. Specifically tonight, I want to talk to you about reaching the religious. In Acts 18, verse 9, don't get nervous. I'm going to break this in half and teach half of it tonight and half of it next Wednesday. Lord willing. Acts 18, verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. It's reaching the religious people. I want you to note tonight that the further we get from the life of Jesus in the New Testament and the day of Pentecost, the further we get from those two events, the more we begin to find people or groups who know something about Jesus, but not necessarily knowing everything they need to know about him. Does that make sense? Um, Jesus was the big event for three and a half years. Everybody heard of Jesus. Everybody heard of Jesus. The Pharisees, Sadducees, their churches didn't grow too much during that time. Actually, John the Baptist started. But the further away we get from that, the church went through a huge peak, Jews and Gentiles, it went through a huge peak, and then it started a decline, and I believe it's in, in, in context of what I'm going to present tonight is still that way, in that there are everybody you know, everybody you meet, especially in this country, especially in our area, knows something about Jesus. But can we understand tonight that maybe they don't know everything about Jesus that they need to know? The Bible said in Acts eleven twenty six that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, only a few months removed from the first Gentile convert. Only a few months after the first Gentile, who was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, after he became the first Gentile convert in Antioch, people who believed, Acts 2.38, I'll just encapsulate it that way, were called Christians. These, they were called that because they had had an Acts chapter 2 experience. But today, many religious people consider it an insult if you want to define the term Christian, this is going back to what I was just saying in my first presentation. If you want to define the word Christian according to the biblical standard, people who had the Acts chapter 2 experience, they were the ones who were called Christians first. That's where the title came from. But today... You could say, I know Jesus, I'm a Christian. And that's about where the information, the similarities, what have you, stops. We all know that. So as the church begins to grow and reach Gentile people in the book of Acts, Paul in particular begins to reach out to the religious people. The people that had some knowledge of God or had some knowledge of a God. 
some, something that they thought was God. But when Paul was endeavoring to do that, he had an, a tremendous experience. He had a tremendous story to tell after all of that was said and done. And his story tells us when you want to embark on the journey of winning people, particularly religious people, watch the screen. God doesn't do everything according to our expectations. Anybody ever experienced that? It started out one way, but it ended another. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. In Acts 16, verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man, everybody say a man, of Macedonia, and he prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, the Bible doesn't say how Paul perhaps envisioned the Macedonian revival that God called him to, but we do know that it wasn't anything like Paul was spoke to here in Acts chapter 9. It's, it didn't happen the way you would think it would turn out and perhaps even Paul. Here's, here's the conflict. This is where you have to be real sensitive and pay attention when you're soul winning. We don't know how Paul envisioned the Macedonian revival. But what we do know that was in his vision, it was a man. Everybody say a man. It was a man that Paul saw in his vision. But when he ultimately got to Macedonia, it was a woman named Lydia that first responded to the gospel. Now, I don't think Paul was disappointed, and I don't think he got mad at God because, God, you showed me a man, but I ended up, my first convert was a woman. The vision of a man in Macedonia got him there. Whatever else happened after he got there was God's business. And that's what we need to understand. We give up too quick on soul winning because it doesn't go like we think. I've told the story over and over when we were starting our church in Youngstown, of course, some of you on the first two rows will have a hard time believing this, but we didn't have smartphones back then. We didn't have internet and we didn't have cable. That's how old I am and that's how long ago that was that that happened. Almost 40 years ago. And um, so I knocked doors. And the first door, now I believed that God called me to Youngstown. I can take you to the place at times since Murph was there, two kids was there. Take it to the place, I can take it to the spot where it happened right now. So when I got there, I thought we were just going to rip, snort, and revival and have a great time and build a church and, and it was all going to be a piece of cake. The first door I knocked on in Youngstown with my little flyers, I'll teach you a free Bible study. Won't cost you anything. Knocked on the door, said, hey, I'm Glenn Murphy. We're here starting a church. Boom. The door slammed. And God, I felt the presence of the Lord when that happened. I did. And it's like God whispered in my ear a question. What are you going to do now? I called you here, but it's not going according to your plan. Y'all with me? So when you want to embark on soul winning, Tanya, want to embark on soul winning, Brandy over here on bark on soul winning. Whoever you are, you will get an image in your mind, a picture in your mind of how you think this should come down. I will be very surprised if it does the way you think it. As a matter of fact, I have walked into situations blindly, not being sensitive, not thinking about soul winning, and end up having this relationship with a person bring them to church can I tell you one of my grievous sins where this happened when we were in Chillicothe as an associate pastor years ago I went to a suntan in bed place and um, for those of you who didn't understand it that's good 
because I knew in my heart I wasn't supposed to be there and it's vain and if God wanted my skin darker he would have made my skin darker and all that. I, I just had all this conviction going on in my head looking at this bed of bright lights that I'm fixing to lay down on with no mattress or nothing just sprawl out dude and turn a whole nother color before you leave here I signed up, and actually it was kind of on the outskirts of Chillicothe, such as that was, and hopefully in an area that nobody would see me going in and out. It's a compromiser. I walked in there, and there was a little guy there. He and I were about the same age, and he, he walked like that, and I didn't know what the problem was. Got acquainted with him, and after the second or third time, my conscience got hardened and seared with a hot iron. And I was just walking on in there like nothing about the third trip. And he greeted me. He said, what do you do for a living? Oh, God. Ricky, I had some engineering stuff. And I, I wanted to lie and say, well, I'm a draftsman. I work at this engineering firm. Well, where? Well, then I couldn't think of one. So that didn't work. I didn't say that, but I was thinking. I told him. He said, I need you to pray for me. I said, well, I sure will, man. And I didn't ask any questions. I wasn't particularly feeling spiritual at the moment. And uh, so I went back the next time. And uh, his eyes were all puffy red. And uh, I was getting darker and darker each time I went. So that was working out. And uh, so he, uh, he said, I mean, he said, I need for you to pray for me. He said, my wife and I are going through a terrible time. And then he told me a story. He used to be a trainer a physical trainer for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team and uh, was in a horrible car accident. He skidded up under an 18-wheeler. It almost killed him, but it crippled him. And he said, you know, surgeries and all that. And he said, my marriage is terrible. He said, I'm, we made a lot of good money, which I can imagine he did. Now he's, he owns a suntanning place. And... Uh, so I went on ahead and witnessed to him standing there in my little sun tanning bed booth and witnessed to him. I wasn't in it. I just, I just walked in, understand. Don't go down that path. And um, so I invited him to church. He came the following Sunday night. God filled him up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and we baptized him in Jesus' name. Amen. You just have to be... That's what you call instant in season, out of season. So we left Chillicothe to go to Youngstown to start that church. And I had to go to a, a seminar thing and meet the district board to get official approval, even though we'd already been in Youngstown for several months. Then I had to go get permission to be there after I was already there. And um, we was walking through the hotel where the, all this was taking place. And I heard somebody call my name and turned around and it was that man. And he came running up to me with no limp in his body. And he said, my wife and I got our marriage straight since I talked to you that day. And he said, we moved to Columbus. He said, we, I got a better job. She got a better job. We started, we found a United Pentecostal Church in Columbus. And they had a prayer line one night. And I went through it and God healed my body instantly. So, uh, <laughs> I had not planned on soul winning that day. As a matter of fact, I was pretty carnal that day. I was thinking about looking better, I guess, to Sister Murphy. I, I don't know. So my plan for to have a revival and to be a soul winner, I didn't have a plan that day. But God had a plan. And that's what we have to understand. It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on the... The, the, the context is not based on the reason. It's not based on none of that. If God puts you in a place, then I believe we always have to be open to the soul winning process. Here's what happened where Paul obeyed his vision to go to Macedonia in Acts chapter 16. We've heard this before. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loose. Now, that wasn't a part of that vision. The persecution they would face was not a part of that vision. Being thrown in jail was not a part of that vision. But the earthquake and every prisoner being loose from that place wasn't a part of that vision either.
God looked for a man that would obey a vision that God showed him. He went, and the rest that happened was between God and that place. Paul was just the tool. Do we understand that? So when I ask you tonight to the old song, God lays some soul upon my heart, love that soul through me. Um, when you do that, to be prepared for any eventuality, be prepared for anything to happen. Uh, and I don't recommend you call a suntanning place tomorrow and line you up an appointment. That's not what I'm saying. You have to understand that. <clears throat> so the Lord allowed Paul and Silas to be put in prison to further the revival in Philippi, which was in Macedonia. So look how God used this experience. They prayed and sang praises at midnight. Great attitude, great spirit, but in a horrible condition. They were in prison. So do we forget about evangelism, or do we look for an opportunity in our crisis? Do we forget about it, or do we look for an opportunity, even when times are bad? The prisoners heard them. You can't testify to prisoners if you don't hang out with prisoners. We've got to get to where the prisoners are, even if it inconveniences us. I believe Grace Church is ripe for a, a, a mighty influx of people coming from all four corners of the earth. We have to be open and sensitive to those moments. Um, there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. We all know that the earthquake affected everyone. And Paul and Silas finally plugged into the reason behind this. For, the, for that moment when that earthquake happened, they had everybody's attention. They did. I mean, everybody had been listening to them sing, and now they had an explanation for the earthquake. They were sensitive to what was going on around them. That sounds ridiculous to us, and, and hardly any of us could hardly even relate to that. They were beaten. Their backs were all tore up. Their, their hands and legs were, were bolted down. And God did this thing. But this is what God wanted. He, he was looking for a man to go to Macedonia and be willing to go through such stuff so God could make a great big impact on those people. And I think we've had hundreds and hundreds of opportunities, including myself, to witness to people. But because of where we were, not only topography-wise, location-wise, but in our mind, we were just not, looked, we were not there. God said, go to this place. And there's a lot of implication to that. So if, if we can do that, just keep in the back of your mind, God, love somebody today through me. Help me be open. It may be at the car dealership. It may be at a restaurant. I've gotten up from my table before and gone across the table and uh, across the restaurant and told people, excuse me, told them who I was, but I just feel like I need to pray for you right now. I've done that. You just do that. You do that. Uh, and that's when doors are open, bands are loosed, and what have you. God, all when, when they allowed God to work through a situation that was not of their choosing, a once-in-a-life opportunity, a miraculous deliverance were the result. It's just you being where God wants you to be, and you do what God asks you to do, and it's not based on how you feel and where you, if you think you should be there or not. So what will your reaction be if God chooses to use you in a different place than the one you have envisioned. If evangelism is your first concern, that will show up that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, it doesn't matter what the environment is. I've been in places of public, I, I remember years ago, we've been at, at different school functions with our kids and so on, and then there's a pastor here, and I'm called on to pray. I've always been uncomfortable with that. I don't mind it in, in our little comfortable comfortable area here but when I'm standing in front of all these people and I'm not prepared I hadn't been asked in advance and all that and you get up and, and, and you just you do something but I wonder how many opportunities I've missed because I wasn't particularly plugged in to that moment so when you go down your priority list when it comes to this is reaching somebody does that go behind your personal preference is it after your comfort is it after the position you're in and so on um, so just for a few more moments tonight i want to talk about the people that we want to affect tonight i believe the greatest enemy of truth is partial truth or half truth um, 
when you are sworn in to a court of law, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Uh, partial truth is, is not a blessing to anybody. In Acts 17, uh, Paul said, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. The one God that you don't know is the God that you should know the most, is what Paul is saying. Sister Murphy and I have been there. We've been to this place and have seen the remnants of what they believe was that altar. And it's pretty stunning when you see it right there in front of you at the Parthenon in Athens. Paul basically had a revival or a riot or both wherever he preached, except in Athens where the reaction was a puzzling indifference and a polite curiosity. The problem with the Athenian people was that they had been polluted by the Greco-Roman pantheon, which was a spiritual equivalent of the geographical statement, all roads lead to Rome. And their theology, everyone's opinion of God, salvation, and even the afterlife, as they referred to it back then, were equivalent. They were willing to hear Paul out until he began to preach to them absolute truth. In this particular case, he began to preach to them about the judgment that was coming one day. So listening to the religious rhetoric of today, you would think that God's greatest concern is that Christianity becomes more tolerant of other religions, that doctrinal walls come down, etc. But this is not the Christianity of the Bible. It's not. Jesus, the Prince of Peace himself said, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Sword is used to divide. It's a divider. I want to give you a couple of illustrations, and then we'll bring this to a conclusion and pick it up next Wednesday night. Jesus constantly talked about the division his teaching would bring between parents and children, between husband and wife, there, there would always be, uh, he always contrasted the two types of disciples that would attempt to follow him. And we're seeing it so prevalent in our society today. First, he talked about two roads, two word pictures of a narrow way that is restricted, confined. It's like a difficult mountain pass, if you will. But then he talked about a broad way that is wide open country. There's no fences, no boundaries, allowing its residents to go anywhere they want for there is actually no road on the Broadway. You just do whatever you want. It reminds me, the Broadway to me is illustrated in the book of Judges when the Bible said back then in the book of Judges, every, every man did what was right in his own eyes whatever makes you feel good and, and you're okay so Jesus talked about the two roads one narrow one broad then he talked about two trees Jesus gave gave us instructions to evaluate other believers not judge but evaluate not by their professed doctrines don't don't go down down that path but by the practical outward effects of what they teach and believe he said, by their fruit, you shall know them. So Jesus taught two roads, two trees. And then at the, uh, the first presentation I made, I read the scripture setting where Jesus talked about a wise man building his house and a foolish man building his house. One was built on a foundation of obedience. Hearing and doing. Obedient. You hear the word of God, what's taught in the word of God, and that's what you do. It withstands the storm. It can stand whatever comes against it. But we know what happens to the man who builds a foolish house on his ignorance and disobedience. It doesn't last. I believe marriages crumbled, have crumbled because of this principle. That the husband and wife cannot agree or they both come to the conclusion and, and agree together that we just don't think this is as important as pastor says it is. We, we can pretty much do what we want. Pastor teaches this, but it's like it's my doctrine. It's, it's Pastor Murphy's doctrine that I'm teaching here. 
And it's okay to disagree with the pastor. Bible even teaches about that as well. But I, I teach the Bible. And if I give you my opinion, I'll tell you it's my opinion. But if it's Bible, it's Bible. And if you want, if you want to withstand all the mess going on in our world today, you need to be built on truth and then the obedience to that truth. So Jesus faced those who wanted to be in the covenant of salvation without obeying the terms of the covenant. Jesus faced these people. The apostles faced the same thing in the book of Acts. I'm going to go through this quickly and then we'll conclude. The apostles faced two different categories of people. They both claimed to be apostolic, but they both came from two completely different directions. In the book of Acts, primarily in Acts chapter 15, the apostles came up with a group of people that were called Judaizers. A Judaizer is, at, 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 they were a group of people who opposed Paul and Barnabas. They believed that any Gentile that converted to apostolic faith, Acts chapter 2, etc., should be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. Those were Judaizers. They were, in, they were incredibly strict and very misguided. They didn't understand how that the Old Testament law, some of that was done away with, and that the new what was going on in the New Testament was the replacement of that. They didn't understand that. So that was one group. The other extreme on the other side was the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans are the followers of Nicholas. I mentioned this several weeks ago who was one of the seven first ordained deacons in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, I believe. They led lives of unrestrained indulgence. Um, the Nicolaitans did. The character of these men were very plainly pointed out even in the book of Revelation when they are represented as teaching that it is a matter of indifference to, to practice adultery you're weird if you don't. And it's okay to eat things that are sacrificed to idols and all that kind of stuff. They were in total, conf total conflict to even old and what was becoming New Testament teaching of that day. So the apostles had both extreme. You had the radical conservative, everybody needs to do the law of Moses. And then you had this group over here, you can do anything you want. Um, they had to deal with these people. It was these two options. It was these two different groups of people than they believed in all these different options. But all of these people, the Judaizers, the Nicolaitans, all would come under the banner of being called a Christian. And I hear it all the time, I, and that's not an exaggeration, I hear it all the time in our culture today that, that, that this popular singer, this popular preacher, it doesn't matter if they've not been filled with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if they've not been baptized in Jesus' name, but they're a Christian. Somewhere along the line, either this is true or it's not. And until I find some pretty strong evidence from somewhere that it's not true, I plan to keep preaching that it is true. And I want to remind everybody here tonight that you, you can interpret the Bible the way you want. You can do whatever you want. Nobody's here to police your life. Nobody's here to threaten you. I'm going to continue to preach the truth as I know it, as I can interpret and so on and what have you. That's what we're going to continue to do here. You can do whatever you want, but there's going to come a time that you will stand before God at some point. And it's this book, not your version of it, and not the way you interpret it, not the way you believe it. That's what you're going to be judged by. And it will determine whether you hear, come on in and enjoy the joy of the Lord, or you can go that way. And that way is not going to be a good path. I want to encourage everybody here tonight. As you are, and I'm going to get into more of this next Wednesday night, but as you're trying to reach people, especially religious people, it's not your prerogative to judge them, but as... Paul realized with Priscilla and Aquila to show them a more excellent way, the Bible said, to be kind to them, to be gentle with them, and what have you. And I'll talk more about that next Wednesday night. But you can see what we're dealing with in our society today, even in apostolics. Um, there's people that 
that want to be apostolic, but they don't want to, to live the apostolic lifestyle, and they won't leave. Uh, I've had people tell me that they don't believe in the lifestyle stuff anymore, but they don't want to go to a church where that's okay. They want to stay in, stay in a church where it's still preached against. They feel comfort in that, they said. That doesn't make sense to me. But if that's what they want to do, then I hope that as you continue to come, you'll come back around to what it is that God wants you to do. But our purpose here tonight is to preach the truth. And our purpose here tonight as a church is to obey it to the best of our ability. And I believe the more you obey, the more blessed you are. I believe there's a whole lot more honor and blessing that comes from God to those who are obedient more so than those that just believe. It's a great step to take. So I'm just going to buckle down, do what God asked me to do, and call it a day. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm thankful tonight to be in front of people that say that, that believes that. I'm very thankful for that. So God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Um, it's a little clouded tonight with the presentation on obedience, but I'll get to my major point next Wednesday night, Lord willing. So God bless you. Be dismissed from your sitting posture. And we'll look forward to seeing you Saturday night at our uh, pastoral anniversary. God bless you and thank you for being here.